and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Uh, this week, I get to have a sit-down conversation with one of the most important people in the New Brunswick music scene, and that is none other than Jean Surette. He is the executive director of Music New Brunswick. He is the drummer for Les Payens and Umlab. So we get to have a conversation. Of course, we get into his roots uh, and where it all kind of started for him musically. But we also talk about uh, his very improvised uh, style and playing. Uh, I guess that would come from a bit of his background uh, in, in jazz. But we also um, talk about the process that Les Payens did when they recorded their last two albums, uh, Kelp Blanche and Kelp Noir, which totally blew my mind. So we, we talk about the state of the music industry uh, in New Brunswick, uh, kind of pre COVID, post-COVID, kind of where things are going, how they how they see um, certain things um, changing, um, both good and bad. And we also talk about our love for Tolkien, uh, Lord of the Rings and Hobbit and all things that are Middle-earth, which was definitely a highlight for me. Hope you all enjoy my conversation with Jean Surette. How are you doing? Good. Do you, how does this, how's the audio? Oh, sounds great. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah I know. I can hear you clear as day. Yeah, what? the video's good doing? too. I'm doing great, pretty good. Um, all things considered, you know, the circuit hmm. breakers and trying to get a, a band together to practice that one guy lives in Moncton and can't get out of there. So <laughs> it's, it's been interesting. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. No, we, uh, we were hoping to practice this when, like yesterday. And uh, I was like, yeah, no, it's not going to happen. And then you got another guy in the band who his daughter has, who's at um primary school and in her class she's not she's she's not she hasn't gone to to, to school in two weeks so he's yeah. like staying at home with her and uh so it's like yeah <laughs> wow yeah strange times we live in man oh i totally yeah. we'll, we'll get through it though i'm confident that oh we'll, yeah we'll get there yeah i mean and it's it's tough right now because october and november sometimes are are tougher times of the year too yeah that's true. i find yeah so it's like the energy levels down and there's not as if there's not a, as, as much sunlight and all that stuff so yeah but daylight that, savings time and holidays coming up and people are stressing out about that yeah yeah mm -hmm. like, yeah for sure for sure yeah. yeah um so the uh music new brunswick awards went uh went off pretty well i uh i got to watch that online it was pretty good yeah um it was uh it was the second year we do something online. Mm -hmm. It's um, it's a whole different beast compared to a live show with an audience and figuring out, you know, how many tickets are sold and capacity of the room and all that stuff and yeah. wrangling presenters. And this, in this case, it was like, okay, this is the team and that's all it is. And then trying to make for a good online on screen show. Mm -hmm. Last year, we were lucky to have uh, Kevin McIntyre uh, produce the the show and have and give us his expertise because he he had worked in not kevin mcintyre the drummer yeah, but yeah, kevin yeah, mcintyre yeah. yeah but yeah. uh yeah um so yeah last year we were we actually learned a lot i learned a lot from kevin and this year tried to put a little bit of that into the, the show but we knew that we had a solid presenter like a solid host with with david miles and yeah. uh Stephen Lewis and the crew at Marshall Studios doing the um, the production itself. I think that's the first time they were doing something as 
I don't know, as, not as as um, complex as that, and you know, as robust as being, you know, you you know, you're going live. You, you've got a lot of cam- cameras happening. You've got you know pre-tape stuff, and mm-hmm. um, I think it was a it was a fun show. Uh, we yeah. always we always said that our awards are like a family reunion. We don't want it to be too stuffy. We want it to be fun, mm-hmm. and I think that I think we we pulled that off. Yeah, no, it was great. And and last year's too with Don hosting, um, with all those <laughs> wardrobe changes. And <laughs> I thought it was great. And I think like doing it online, um, it's uh, it allows people that are outside of the area where it's being hosted, because usually it's it's in a different city every year. Um, it allows you know other members to be able to to tune in and, and watch where they might not necessarily be able to get a ticket and go. Um with that it's, it's online so it's free so you're not getting the ticket sales um did you guys think about doing that kind of like a, a paid online type of a thing to get in to watch the show we didn't we last year we thought <clears throat> let's make this well especially last year because we were in the thick of the pandemic and we figured you know this is more of a community thing let's put mm-hmm. it out there make it free and uh it actually never occurred to us to try to sell tickets um, this year, um, I think that there's there's a lot of conversations right now on how what what the pandemic has done to free content online. You know, the mm-hmm. perception that there's a lot of free stuff out there, or or oh, what is perceived as free things, mm-hmm. um, and um, and and it didn't. I think because the awards is is a community, not a community, strictly community thing. It's an it's an industry thing where we celebrate albums and, 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 and activity and events. But I think we really wanted for the artists and the folks that did interesting things in the last year to be celebrated and seen as by as many people as possible. Yeah. And to put it behind a ticket ticketing paywall, one, you're going to get less people involved watching. And two, it will not live on online. Now, right. if someone wants to go back and see portions or all of the awards they still can do that right yeah, yeah. um so i think that's important so um no it didn't really it, i think um that's a that's a different discussion on how on how people are are um you know we we like to go see shows i mean we're missing to go see shows yeah but uh, there's a whole portion of the of, of the of society uh anyway in, in north america that um maybe i don't I'm, i hope not i haven't gotten too accustomed to getting free content all the time yeah yeah that's yeah spoiled a lot of a lot of kids are spoiled now with everything being just available at the click of a button you yeah know, whether it's on youtube or spotify or any of the streaming services you know like yeah at, i remember you know saving money to to buy a record that i knew was coming out you know before it was released and then you know you go down and you buy it and then you just consume it over and over again because yeah. you know you spent your hard-earned money on it now it's just you know click of a button no nah, next next like yeah i i don't think i could handle that it's yeah it's a whole different it's a whole different way of like you say the consuming music um i've got two teenagers and um they're used to having everything everything literally uh at their fingertips um and you know i make sure that they know that yeah you know i pay x amount of money every month so you guys have access to that and they know that Mm -hmm. um but my daughter recently i'd say in the last eight months or so has gotten into vinyl because i'm into vinyl um she's into vinyl not necessarily 
for crate diving, but you know, she's a big Billie Eilish fan and, or, you know, she's got her favorite artists and she likes having that physical format. You know, Mm -hmm. it's something that gets her closer to her artist, you know, the artist that she loves. And that's, uh, I, I see, um, I really relate to that. You know, I think we both do like where we're waiting for that album to come out. We race to the record store, we buy it, you know, we've saved our money and we listen to it over and over. Well, they've already listened to the music over and over and over, but having that, there's something comforting knowing that my kids see value in that. Yeah. Anyway, so it's, uh, I mean, they don't, as people we're you know, we're tactile. Like there's a reason why we have all, all of our senses, like touch being one of them you know, being able to see it. So you look at the album art, you, you touch the physical copy and, you know, with vinyl, especially, you know, you get, you have to be careful and you pull it out of the sleeve and, you know, set it onto the turntable and, you know, drop yep. the needle, all of those, all of those things add to the experience. And yep. like, I, I collect vinyl. I, I'm not nearly <laughs> on your level with, with my vinyl collection, but, you know, I, I've only recently started in the last um, probably five years getting back into it. Um, just because uh-huh. I didn't have a record player un- until then. Um, and I remember my son, who's also a teenager, he, he came home one day and I was putting on a record and he was like, what, what's that? You know, uh-huh. <laughs> so it just a total different generation, right. Of, yeah. of what they saw growing up from when they were kids into, yeah. you know, what, what they see now. It's Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, they, uh, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's an interesting resurgence and then you know like vinyl is one thing and cassettes are another like that I was never not not I wasn't a fan of cassettes but cassettes were handy they were they were what I liked about cassettes is that you could make your own mixtapes and yeah. I found that was really you know I, I, I explained to my kids once like yeah when when I wanted to get one song I wouldn't necessarily go out and buy the record I'd, I'd wait on and and at the radio and, and press pause you know and get wouldn't always have the beginning of the song we wouldn't have the end of the song but i'd There's have damn djs that would just talk too much into the intro shut up shut up shut up <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i get that um uh so talking about kids and, and and what they were experiencing what was it like for you like where well we'll, we'll, we'll go all the way back so where sure. are you originally from like are you from the moncton area yep i grew up in moncton um I wasn't born here, but I, I grew up here. <clears throat> my, my parents were away. I, they, they're, they're both from Moncton. My dad was studying, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah. My dad, I'm from a big family. I'm sixth of seven. Like I, I feel like a Borg, you know, six of seven, but um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into some of that stuff later too. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I'm, I'm um, I grew up in Moncton. Uh, I went to a small school uh, that I would, you know, I considering what our kid, uh, considering today's reality, I, w- I walked quite a, you know, quite a, f- a ways to get to that school. Went to a small school called Essex and I uh, went to Vanier and then Mathieu Martin. Um, grew up in Moncton um, and, uh, and, and in, in downtown pretty much. Um, and um, yeah, that. We, uh, we 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 would spend our, co- our uh, we had a cottage out in Shadek Bridge. So in the summer, I spent my summers pretty much as soon as school ended and right until a couple of days before uh, out in country. So my summers were in the country, and my the rest of the time was in in downtown Moncton. Okay, so being a big family, I'm I'm myself. I'm I have two siblings, so it wasn't a big family. But my mom is uh, one of sixteen brothers and sisters. So, you know, that big family dynamic and, 
you know, growing up kitchen parties, like every weekend at, at one of the aunts or uncles, or usually, well, I guess my grandparents until my grandfather passed away. And then I went from his house to a couple of uncles that would, and they were all musicians. So, you know, three or four electric or acoustic guitars and a violin and a mandolin. And, you know, everyone was just sitting there top tapping their feet, you know, all the, in the Acadian way, you know? Um, And uh, so was that something that was part of your childhood? Not at all. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny. My my story is very musical in the sense that my, both my parents were huge music fans. My mother was in, was in choirs and she was, she, she was a big fan of, of, uh, of the, uh, she knew all the old, the, the classic songs from the movies and from, you know, she could hum anything. My, my dad was a huge fan of La Chanson Française, so like uh, either from Quebec or France, so like Edith Piaf. Uh, um, and, so, and not only um, the, the, that, that repertoire, but also uh, big classical fan and jazz as well but since i had older siblings and they were they had grown up in as teenagers in the 70s i was surrounded by led zeppelin and mm. pink floyd and the beatles and yeah. Armon, Yum, and so i'm not at all on, on the trad side you know but a lot in the 70s rock and uh, chanson mm. um, and we had like a lot of families you know you had your the big huge um that big record player that you know made of wood but you'd flip the you know you'd flip the top <laughs> really up big, and there was a top yeah yeah the, yeah, you, the records was in the record player uh, sometimes an eight track we didn't have any track but there was a, a radio yeah. in there too so a and and you know and, yeah. Yeah, yeah and all the, the the stacks of vinyl in front yeah. Yeah. so in those stacks there was all sorts of music and i think that's where i get my musical culture um not only the music that was always kind of blaring in in the background because my dad was a really big fan of not only music but that it's that it sound would sound good Mm -hmm. so we'd have a really good sound system and so um i would go through there and, and and pick out you know there's some odd like one of my desert island discs is the white album and it's an odd album, you know, it's, it's, it's in the sense yeah. that it's, it's eclectic. It's, there's all sorts of music on there. Um, and there's a lot of albums like that. Then thinking back, it's like, well, I wonder why that those albums, you know, like I used to listen to Uma Guma by Pink Floyd and that's another odd, but uh, you know, so there are some albums that have, uh, have always been in kind of the background um, and, and the, the, the influence of my parents and my, and my sisters and my brothers um, came through the records, but not necessarily, I'm the only actual musician in the okay. family. I was going to you know, ask if sister, anyone else played. Yeah. My sister did some piano. Um, my mother, like I say, my, my dad played trumpet in the, in the band when he was, when he was a kid, but you know, never more than that. So mm-hmm. I'm really the only one that actually kept on, kept, kept, kept at it. Okay. So what do you think was the reason for like, what gave you that itch to be a performer? I don't know. Um, I think the, the itch wasn't necessarily to perform. It was to play drums. Um, I remember very, uh, I didn't start with drums. My mom um, wanted me to take violin. Um, at, the, at the time, I was like five years old. There was this, uh, there was a program called the Suzuki, Suzuki program, I think it was called, for very young children. And uh, so I did two or three years. It didn't really connect with me, but, you know, um, later in, in junior high, um, 
I had uh, we I, I played the, the clarinet and then after that the bass clarinet. Uh, in ninth grade, um, that's well, I had been eyeing the drums for a while. I've been like, oh, I like these things. I've I've never played them before, but I think <laughs> I really like them. Yeah. And um, and I remember clearly uh, there were some friends of ours that for a, for a whole summer, one of their the friends of the family had left their drum a drum set in the basement, and I caught wind of that mm -hmm. and uh so when my mom was visiting with friends they oh can i come <laughs> so i remember going down and actually sitting behind the drum set for the first time and and i don't even remember what they were or what but i just remember you know I, okay i need to do this and and it and it was working <laughs> yeah, yeah. So pretty <laughs> and, coordinated and that was then, yeah. That was the first time and then after that it was like okay i want a drum set. i want a drum set and i and i i i uh, really I, I basically was saying, look, I, I want a drum set and this and that. And uh, finally I got, I got a practice pad. So, all right, I'll, I'll take the pad. <laughs> and I whacked that thing for a, at least a year doing air drumming while listening to Rush and different things. And, and um, finally I got a kit uh, the summer of grade nine. And, um, and, and, and uh, I still have parts of that kit, not a lot of them, but I still yeah. have parts, but uh, that was like, and like you're saying, you're saying, you know, why did I want to be a performer? It didn't really occur to me that I wanted to perform. I just wanted to play drums yeah. and, uh, and, and learn songs. And I was just so much into the music I was listening to. And I wanted to play that. And I was really into the police and rush and, 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 and uh, Pink Floyd and, and later on Zappa. But um, the, 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 the I guess the, the the performing side came later. Um, it, uh, it it maybe close closer to university. I think mm -hmm. the first time I played in front of people on my drums was in high school, where we're I was supposed to do play with a band, and and in the end, everyone everyone decided that they 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 weren't into it anymore. So I did a solo. <laughs> it was like a la boîte à chanson, and uh, I think yeah. So it's weird. The performance side came later. Yeah. So you're very comfortable behind the kit in in who you are as a as a player because of those days of just kind of practicing on your own and 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 developing your your let your vocabulary i guess totally yeah the the vocabulary came and that's important when i used to teach i used, before i was working with mnb i used to teach quite a, you know i had a lot of students and one of the things i used to tell them is like you know play as much different music as you can put some headphones on be careful you're hearing, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, put some headphones on and, and play what you what you hear. And that's what I did. I, I learned a lot of music and I'd play a lot of music. I'd, I'd get home from school every day and I'd I'd play till basically my dad got home, you know, so that was like a couple of hours every day. And um, and I had a ghetto blaster right here and uh, some old headphones that. And so I think that's super important to, to to create that vocabulary of because then that your personality will come out later. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's the combination of all those drummers that um, that I've that I used to list that I've listened to all my life. Obviously, the ones that were earlier on, you know, the Stuart Copeland's, Neil Peart, Nick Mason, Ringo Starr, and and you know, I can, the list goes on. All those drummers. <laughs> Vinny, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and Terry Basio was another big one, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and and Bill Bruford too, big one, yeah, and so those drummers each gave me a little bit of something, and sometimes a little more something, and I still hear to this day, you know, something I'll I'll do, like I'll 
geez, that's, that's so Bruford, you know, it, or just the way I, I play my rim shots. It's like, you yeah. know, it's, there's a, and that's important. And I think I'm hope to, to, to think that uh, after all that, there's some sort that, that I've created my own personal language or my own personal accent, you know, in, in yeah. my language when, when yeah. I play. Yeah. There's definitely like, and that's why I like, I love all different genres of music because you can hear in everyone's playing sort of where they come from and their backgrounds and that's what makes us all special like we all speak the same language but we all have our own accent like and it's 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 just like you know in Moncton and you know Acadian communities like we speak French but we don't speak the same French that they speak in Quebec or that they speak in France or you know same thing with like any language really like it's all <laughs> in your regions and I think as as musicians and, and especially drummers we definitely have our own vocabulary when, when it comes to playing. Yeah. It's not only this is something that only really occurred to me later. When I say later, maybe 10, 15 years ago, it's not only the vocabulary of what you're playing, but it's also what you choose to play. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the drum you choose to play, the size of the drum, the skin mm-hmm. you put on the tuning, yeah. um, the, the, the placement of where the things are, um, how you muff or not. You know mm-hmm. uh, how open are the skin tones or not? Yeah. I think in the last, I'd say, five six years, I've been really digging, putting, you know, putting towels or or different sounds on the toms or on the drums for specific songs or specific moments. And uh, and 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 you know, for a long time, it was like the drums have to sing, they have to be open, they have to ring, mm-hmm. um, you know, and uh, and. And you listen to songs like, you know, it's a classic, but, you know, come together by the Beatles, you know, what, what made Ringo or the producer who ever thought of it, you know, to put some towels on the toms, like to have that, you know, have that sound. And, uh, and I, I'm really into that lately. Yeah. Like the production side of like how, how to make, create the sounds themselves, not so much playing them, but just how you, how you make that sound. Yeah, yeah, and changing them from one song to another, that it's not just, oh, your drums will sound all the same all the time. Yeah. And sometimes we don't have enough time to do those changes in a show. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, but that's something that I've been really, uh, I'd say the beginning of the pandemic kind of forced me and a lot of us for that matter to think outside the box, like, okay, well, geez, we have a lot of time on our hands. <laughs> Let's do some stuff. <laughs> yeah. Let's do Let's some play around. You know, yeah. Experiment. Yeah. And, yeah. and I definitely did that. Yeah. Well, it's something I find like I've I've been listening to uh, to your albums um, in, in preparation for for talking with you tonight, and uh, and I find that each song kind of has its own spot on the album. Like, there's different sounds that are coming out, and like just the whole atmosphere of each song is you know is different. How mm-hmm. how when you're making and you're writing those songs? Because I mean, I play in a punk band, so it's just. 100% go right yeah <laughs> drums are wide open guitars are loud like yeah it's just part of the genre but yeah what you guys are creating there's there's a lot more intricacy in in the sounds that you're using and I'm just curious like as the drummer um, who I'm guessing when you're playing live you're in control of a lot of those samples and a lot of those sounds kind of like a, a musical director how do you when you're writing the songs come up with with those different pieces that'll fit together well, it's a good question. It all depends on the album you're you're referring to because we I was actually thinking of that thinking of that last week. 
you know, um, and when you're, if you're referring to Les Payens anyway, mm-hmm. yeah, um, yeah, Les Payens. we, we, we were, we were, um, and still are to, you know, we, we, <laughs> we, we still exist. We're still a thing. We're just not doing anything, but yeah, uh, just as, to say, as most of us are. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so we had rely heavily on improvisation. Some albums were more written than others. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you take that first CD or, or the first, depending where your starting point is, um, if you take the first CD, which was an EP, EP phone, uh, mostly live, um, there were some songs in there. But if you go a little bit later, let's say an album come like Zern um, to Turn, which is a super eclectic album, again, mostly live with some studio wonderment. Um, a lot of different atmospheres, a lot of different vibes. And so, we're, you know, if, if, it's, if it's got a kind of a reggae yet really hard hitting feel, well, I think the drums have to be fairly simple and strict to the point, but they've got a, that's where the Stuart Copeland comes in, you know? So it's like, you know, and that's my role, you know, whereas there are other songs, let's say if you go a little further down the road where we had the two albums, there are two last albums, which are Carte Blanche and And Carte Noire. Carte Blanche and Carte Noire were recorded at the same time. Oh, really? They were done on the same two, during two weekends. Um, we went into the studio in, in Grand Barachois with uh, Georges Beliveau and producer and, Andy Cregan. And we had about six compositions that were solid, that had forms, that we knew what we were going to be playing. And then we also knew that we were going to be improvising quite a bit, that we just go in and improvise. So no, no starting point, just come. I don't think there may have been one that we said, oh, that riff, remember this? Yeah, let's do that again. Okay. So we, we recorded about three hours of improvisation in there. And there are some compositions that came out of those improvs because as a band, we, we've, we've developed, we developed a language internally that was, uh, that, that, that we were very perceptive of what the other is going to do. And so we were able to create forms on the spot and go into directions together sometimes. Really? And so there, there are some songs that you think are compositions, but they're actually drawn from improvisations. I would have and then, never guessed that. <laughs> and then, but I have to say that Andy Cregan would take, let's say, a nine minute improv and then cut the fat and it would become a four minute song. Okay. But the themes are there, like the, this is a very clear theme. This is a very clear bass and drum part with a melody on top, which goes here. We all did that together, improvising there. Yeah. But then Andy would kind of fix it that it, it's smoother. There may be a smoother transition. There may be one element that he brings out. There may be a leather element that he may, he may loop a little bit, but, but the, the, the musical context and the musical ideas and, and the form are all improvised. So and that, like the, the, the title track, Septam, total improvisation. So that's where our instincts come, uh, come into play, where everything that I was doing came from instinct on what was going on either in the loops mm-hmm. um, that maybe Jonah was playing, because at that point I wasn't doing anything electric, electronic with Le Payen. I was okay. a complete, I was a complete Just acoustic, acoustic player. Yeah. yeah. Um, now with Umlab, that, that's changed where I have a hybrid kit where I include an acoustic kit, but I also have a, uh, 
one of these. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I also have um, a foot pad that for, for my bass drum and a snare, so I can actually play a full electronic kit and or mix and match. So it's a different, it's a different, it's a it's a much different deal, and I'm having a lot of fun with that. So what yeah. you're referencing to is like, okay, those choices of sounds compared to acoustic are much more in play than they were with Les Payens. But mm -hmm. I think with Les Payens, what did, um, what I, 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 um, I rely a lot on my instincts and what the others are doing and making sure that I don't, because that's a five piece and you could maybe appreciate this having played probably in, in bigger bands where if you're five in a band, it's, it's a big difference between four, mm -hmm. you know, how many, how, what's going on, how yeah. much activity is happening. So it's really important that especially if you want to go into more subtle moments, sometimes it's important just not to play. Yeah. And that's not all drummers or musicians in general catch that idea. And it's yeah. important. Yeah. And I find the, the lack of sound makes it sound that much bigger, right? That that space is what makes it have that weight. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So um, you have a new album coming out. We do. We have a, well, we have a album coming out. We, um, we started as, as a, an ensemble, as a band, uh, basically came out of the ashes of Le Payen. So four of the band members, we, uh, we decided, hey, let's, let's give a crack at it. And um, not, we, we really wanted to do something not, obviously it's still electronic kind of jazz rock, not quite prog, but proggy stuff, but not quite, you know. Um, so uh, we started this in February of 2020. So if you do your calculations about a month later, everything went to crap, yeah. uh, but we were able to continue jamming and record a bunch of stuff. Um, and it's funny, the process that we used for Cap uh, Noir and Cap Blanche, and by the way, Cap Noir is 100% improv. There is nothing on that album that was preconceived. <laughs> that, that just makes that album much, I mean, I was already impressed with the album, but that just makes it that much more like holy shit <laughs> like, i mean obviously there's a little bit of editing a little you know mixing, yeah but... edit, edits aside but there's still like yeah, yeah you know like i'd like to hear the full without any cuts like that that'd be an amazing piece that, to to as those a side um, <laughs> those um those pencil mixes as andy used to call them still exist we still have yeah. the full uh, i'll have to send those to you so you can listen to the unedited <laughs> versions it's pretty cool crazy. Yeah. yeah so but to, to come back with the um, um lab we yeah. um we have a lot of the same process where we improvise and the, the, we, we cap, capture those and we're, we're uh, lucky enough to be jamming in Jonah's basement. Um, and he had full on multi-track and multi-camera. So there's actually, there's some of those sessions where we actually multi-cammed it uh, just cause he had the gear, but mm -hmm. we recorded it. Um, we listened to stuff that we said, Oh, this is a really good, let's do a little bit of editing on our own. And cause we do everything on click not just click, but on grid where everyone's meaty. Um, everyone is, is, uh, is on the clock. Mm -hmm. So that means when it comes to editing, it's super easy. It's super easy to take stuff out or to move things around. Yeah. So we, um, we, we did recording, a lot of recording during 2020, and then um, started uh, piecing stuff together. And I'd say in the spring of 2021, and started mixing and he is also included in in the uh uh in the in the process mostly the process was that we record we do his first edit and give the stems to andy andy takes those stems 
and does a bunch of stuff with them, uh, edits a little bit more, adds some elements and sends us back the stems. Okay. And that's what we mix. And then from there, we, and now we're, we, we're waiting, we've received our masters. So our, our, it's going to be a five song EP. Well, we're not calling it an EP. It's, it's just a, it's, it's a five song album. Yeah. Um, and they're not songs, actually. They're, they're, they're all instrumental. Um, and uh, we'll be releasing, we're, we're working on the, the on the, um, on the plan right now, how we want to release it. But what we'd like to do is release it with some video content that we recorded, that we've gotten edited, that we're waiting on the edits right now um, to, um, to when we do release it, that we have a, a marketing strategy around getting people to follow us on our, on, on Spotify and, mm -hmm. and uh, following us on Instagram. And it'll be an Instagram story um, marketing plan. Yeah. Uh, trying to get people uh, to, to follow us and to, and to, 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 to like us and stuff like that. But uh, it's, um, it's, it's an interesting way of working where you're, you're not, you know, we're learning the improvs that we, that we created. Was, so, yeah. Cause like pr doing it in the studio improv, that's, you know, free form and, and great. And you capture it, then you got to learn it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> to be able to Which isn't always, I know for Cap Noir, it was really, wasn't an easy thing. And when we released Cap Noir, um, it was, uh, we tried to play every song on the album, mostly. Yeah. Um, and some of them were really difficult. It wasn't that it was technically difficult, um, but it was just try to, trying to get those moments. Because yeah. a lot of the time it's the textures, yeah. it's the silence, it's, it's when certain things have to happen. And yeah because they happen kind of naturally in the improvisation, you know, yeah. it's hard to recreate that. Yeah. And, um, and so that was a real challenge. And with Umlab, it's slightly, um, I'd say it's a bit more straightforward uh, in the sense that um, we had a bit more time to rehearse and, uh, and, uh, but uh, it's, it's a lot of the same kind of uh, process, but mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're looking forward, hopefully this winter to, we want to get together and just, hunker down for a couple of days and actually write because that's something we actually do want to do we have a lot there are a couple of tunes that are not on the ep that we actually do play live because yeah. we have we've played three or four times now and those are actually compositions where you know someone came with an idea or that we jammed an idea and then we really worked on the forms and worked on 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 specifics about them. so that's something that we're looking forward to doing too yeah that'd be, that'd be interesting I, i'm looking forward mm -hmm. to hearing it yeah mm -hmm because yeah i've been um like i've not heard a lot of your stuff until recently just mm -hmm. i just haven't gotten around to it i'm, I'm being honest you know i, I don't yeah. have to listen to everything um yeah and we haven't pushed it, it yeah i suppose yeah there's that too um but as soon as i heard it i was like okay this this is something different this is a yeah. vibe this is a an, uh, an idea this is something that that can be transcending it's almost like when you're watching a film and you hear the music in the background and you don't know why you're feeling certain ways until you, you pinpoint it. And I think the, the Cult Blanche and Cult Noir really captured that. Like I, I, mm -hmm. I was sitting there at work and I had it on my headphones and I was typing. And I was just like, what the fuck, man, <laughs> this is something different. And I was down for it. So I, you know, and, and I think that, like you say, with the free form and I, the, the other guys in the band you know they're all solid players and they have to be because you have to have that language like you said to to know where the other person's going and that only comes from experience and, and playing with people um 
So, I mean, exactly. how, long, how long have you guys, how long were you guys together before you, you did that out, those two albums? Um, as a band, the Les Payens started in 94. Mm-hmm. So the, the core, Denis Chops and I were in the band as of 94. Uh, so the total span of the, of the band uh, until we stopped in, 90, in 2019 was 25 years. Yeah. Um, and then Sebastian came on board in 2001. So he was actually with us for you know, a good 20 years. Um, and then Jonah was with us as of 2000, I forget, <laughs> but uh, he was there for Cap Blanche and Cap Noir, but he, was, he had been in the band for, I'd say, three years before. Yeah. So we already had a good, um, a really good um, internal musical language between the four of us. And Jonah mm-hmm. came and brought in a lot of electronic elements and looping and 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 uh, and kind of solidified that path, and so by the time we got to the recording of Cap Blanche and Cap Noir, we all we already had a pretty solid improvisational language together. And like Jonah used to say, it's like our our last gig was always his favorite gig, or <laughs> yeah, that yeah. his last jam was always his favorite jam. And it was an interesting to have someone new come into the band. And we, the same thing happened with Sebastian when he came in. Uh, you know, when someone new comes in with new ideas, they inject new life into some, sometimes they inject new yeah. life into something that maybe has gotten not old, but, you know, sometimes you need a little bit of in, something to invigorate you. Yeah, something and, fresh. Yeah, Something fresh, exactly. So I think the electronics, which we were already dabbling in, because Sebastian had a, had a um, what was that called again? It was a, a pad, it was a, it was a Korg. Um, anyway, it was, he used to play beats in there. He'd put, he'd put some, he'd use it for, for, um, for effects as well. Um, and a chaos pad, that's what it was. So he had a kid, two chaos pads at one point doing beats and doing different things. And then when Jonah came in, he took, took care of a lot of the beats and a lot of those electronic sounds and Sebastian could, could really concentrate on, on being the, the melodist, you know, doing the trumpet and the flute and sometimes mm-hmm. sax through these effects, but still, you know, using those effects. Um, so when, um, when Cap Noir and Cap Blanche were recorded, I think it was, it was just perfect timing when it, when it comes to our language coming together and, and our ears, that's not just a language. I mean, language, you have to hear a language yeah. most of the time. And, you know, you don't need to hear a language, but in this case, the musical language that we had created um, was really laid out during the recordings. Yeah. And uh, we just t- kind of took the best moments. So those, those two albums are really sister albums. They were done at the same time. Yeah, because yeah. like, like you say, when you're having a conversation, the two ways of a conversation is, is listening and, and, and speaking, right? So as, as musicians, you have to listen to each other and it's a beautiful conversation. So kudos on, on that. And yeah, I was very impressed when I heard that. And especially with telling me how it was recorded. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things I'd like to, to lay out a bit more on, on how that those two albums came about because, you know, it's it's not it's not a typical not your typical way of no. of making an album at all. Really isn't. Yeah. Um, so you're the musical director, um, or sorry, executive director of uh, Music New Brunswick, uh, which is it sounds fancy, it sounds important. Um, so, but what would what would be the easiest way to describe what what that role is with MNB? Well, 
I'm kind of the when uh, when we when we have events and we have a you know a pass, I always put the Grand Wazoo just because mm-hmm. I like I like that album. <laughs> but um, but uh, it's I think it's a role that uh, there's a lot of different parts of that of of that title. Um, it's the the person who needs to go in front of a camera and talk to a reporter. It's the person that needs to talk to government if uh, they want to know what the industry needs or if uh, they want to understand what how the industry works. If you have a new minister who's kind of, you know, doesn't know how things work. It's also someone who will, um, um, will uh, hire the right person for the right job if you know if you if, if we have a, a person that we need to have uh for a certain role i have to be able to you know know who who would be right in that position uh, uh we have a board of directors um we have to you know I, I i'm never the one person that decides we're doing this although sometimes mm-hmm. i do need to make executive decisions like this is our direction this is yeah. what we need to be doing but we're an organization we're we're um, we're a member driven organization so we're an association so we have members so i'm always thinking on who our members are what are their needs um and for those who are ready to make that transition to maybe going from someone who's got a job but also does music to make that transition to just doing music you know what do they need to do to make that do that leap Mm -hmm. or someone who is already there but they want to go to you know they want to tour more they want to go to so i think it's it's our responsibility to help those folks those artists be able to do that and it's not always easy because not everyone every artist has a different path um and especially with today, a lot of those paths were cut short or just, yeah. you know, where, where, where some artists had, you know, uh, they re- just released an album, they had a pat, they had, you know, a whole plan. And then all of a sudden that is just falls to shambles and everything has to be either restarted or just thrown out the window or, mm-hmm. so it's a really difficult time now, but um, um, I think I'm, I'm a, I, I guess I, I have, I have a uh, a position of leadership where I have to, you know, kind of provide some sort of, you know, a vision of where the organization needs to be going, following where maybe the industry needs to be going mm-hmm. uh, or following the industry. It's like, Oh, this is where the industry seems to be going. Well, let's, let's try to go there. Um, but uh, it's, it's a tough role, especially for, you know, in these days where um, I'm trying to think back to 2008 when I started, things were quite different, you know, social media was starting out, was starting to, you know, but it's, it's um, today's artists putting out an album is not putting out an album the same way as they did back then. Um, And so it's, uh, it's important for me to always be on, always be listening. It's kind of a interesting parallel to the music. I was going to say it helps that as a musician, as in your role with music new brunswick being a musician you understand a lot more than just somebody that you know is good at being uh, in a managerial role that has nothing to do with music absolutely yeah you're totally right and i think that's one of the one of the things that when i came into my role uh, a lot of folks appreciated they knew that i was a musician that had been working as a you know working with my band working doing a lot of different things within the industry uh, being involved in a lot of things. So I think that helped folks understand that, yeah, you know, I think 
this this is someone who can who can lead the organization that at the time in 2008 was in a pretty rough situation we were over a hundred thousand dollars in debt and it's like anyway that's that's yeah. old news because that's not the case now yeah but um i think uh that's that's the the, the thing that I, I hope that folks you know have a, have a feeling that i understand you know uh what 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 maybe hopefully what their needs are where where uh, how we can help mm-hmm. but looking to uh, when COVID is going to kind of, it's, I don't think it's ever going to go away. I think we're going to mm-hmm. learn how to live with it better. Um, yep. uh, what, what do you see as far as, you know, Music New Brunswick and the, the members um, coming on the other side? Uh, how, how are they going to, because everyone's going to be clamoring to get out, to get out of the gate mm-hmm. and, and go back to shows and, and kind mm-hmm. of doing things the way it used to be. Um, how would you, uh, what would be your advice on, on how to approach that? Cause it, it's going to be thin ice for a little while. Well, I would, uh, I think the approach will be the, and this is it's fun, funny to say, but it's, it's a lot of the same things that we say before. It's like plan it. Like if you're, if you want to do something, um, if you're going to build a house, are you just going to go to the hardware store and buy a bunch of stuff and come back and try something? No, you're, you're going to think it out. You're going to plan it ahead. You're going to build your foundation. You're going to have the right tools. You're going to have the right, the right materials. And I think if, 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 if we, when we come out of the, the, like you say, we're going to have to learn, learn to live with COVID, but touring will come back. Um, I'm hoping that um, artists will and and folks that want to work in the industry because we need a lot more of those people. We have a lot of artists, but we don't have a whole lot of people that work in the industry that will you know think about what they want to do and why they want to do it and and to whom who are they trying to connect with. And there are a lot of those kinds of connections that can happen without even leaving their hometown. Mm-hmm. Um, that's those those specifically are things that. I think that we'd like to develop like, okay, how can we get our artists who will produce music here? And yeah, play locally, regionally, and nationally, internationally, all that stuff. But how can we develop more skills and aptitudes on how to get our music out there on different platforms uh, and getting people to listen and getting their music on playlists, getting their music, not only on playlists for Spotify, which don't pay really. I mean, but you know, getting getting on playlists and, and getting getting opportunities that actually will create revenue streams because they they do exist and they're out there, and so it's getting artists savvy on okay, if I'm going to release an album, it doesn't make sense just to upload it to Bandcamp and post it on a couple of you know on my social media, and my friends and family will come and see, but that's you know it'll it'll kind of end there. Mm-hmm. It's being strategic. It's like okay, if I have a record this is the lifespan of my new album. So I have to really milk that for everything it's got and, and yeah. do it right. And there are models out there that work, you know, that artists have used before. So it's doing some research and, and, and that maybe that's a role that Music ME can play is that, you know, you want to tour, you want to play shows. Great. We're going to help you try to find ways of doing that. But there are a lot of other ways that you can get your music out there, yeah. um, and you can and and you can uh, mon- um, get create some revenue streams around that. So mm-hmm. right now, that's where my headspace is. It's like, okay, where, where how can we provide some information, some workshops, some some educational 
type things where if you have a record, hey, these are the things that you could do to, to, to monetize it and to make get the best bang for your buck and get as many people listening to that record as possible. Yeah, because when an album comes out, you've got about like what? Eight months, eight or nine months before it takes that dip. You know, before the attention starts to go away and then you've got to find another way to bring people back in if you don't have something new coming out yeah and yeah. it's it's it depends on the market too i mean if you if, if you present it to a certain market yeah you, it's got a you know a, a peak and, a, and and it comes down um but you can really you know you can you, you can have a a look at what are the different markets you want to, you want to be sending it to. If, if you're, if you're listening, if you're thinking of the local market, let's say just regionally here in, in, in the Maritimes, well, that's, that's kind of one strategy. If you want, if you want to try to hit campus radio across Canada, well, that's like, well, that's another kind of strategy. Or if, if you, if you do a little bit of research and you see that, okay, well, these are the bands that we really like and and that we connect with and there's some there's there's a there's a similarity there well their fans will probably find that too so oh well this this is a band i didn't really know of but they're in korea it's like okay how can we approach the korean market <laughs> yeah so obviously if you have an album that's twice that's two or three years old you know that there's a shelf life to that to a certain degree so you're, you're right i think you know, I've heard six to 18 months, 18 months, I can, can include the, 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 uh, the touring cycle and, you know, the, the full cycle I've, you know, there are different, there are different ways of looking at it. I mean, there are some folks that instead of releasing an album, they could have five songs in the can, but they're going to release them in a certain way that they're going to stretch that out over two years. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, there are different strategies. And, and I think that's, that's something that every artist should have, have a look at what's been done and who's doing what and, and be very, very attentive on who's having a who's having success. Yeah. Um, is there a reason why a certain artist is, is putting out singles instead of an album mm -hmm. and, um, and, and having a look at, at national charts and seeing, you know, okay, who's, who's doing what and, 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 and nationally, and it's a lot of work. You know, it's, it's, I'm not saying that it's easy, but yeah. um, I think that's, uh, that's, that's something that, that, uh, that we're looking into. It's like, okay, what, what, how, how can we get our artists to get out there without leaving their hometown? Yeah. Cause you know, like, and like you said, with, with you got you guys have the, um, the recording and you got the video and stuff so that the cross media platforms, that's something because of COVID you know, all the people doing live streams and doing a lot more of that. Like I know uh, Le Moon Tunes did that, that show from the moon, which was just mind boggling. But, the, the, you know, that's another way of creating content um, that, that'll have a, a shelf, not a shelf life, but just it keeps you more um, in the eye of the public. Yeah. And it's, it's not everyone who has the capacity of doing that. Mm -hmm. um obviously if you're a band compared to a solo artist it's a lot easier to do as you know um if, if, if you're just you know you have your phone but you have some software and you have some ideas um you have to be inventive and you have but uh it's the, the content is, is is a big thing and um and and keeping that content flowing and it's not always easy but um and you know in two years it might be a completely different different uh different show here <laughs> you know i, I expect it to be yeah yeah that's yeah, the thing I, with technology and with just everything just as, as it goes like what yeah. we're doing now is is going to be 
you know, ancient, but in, in a, in a few years time. So, you know, and you all have to have your finger on the pulse on, and and what you say, like knowing what the trends are and what the industry and where it's going and how to better prepare. And and I think that's what music New Brunswick's role, you know, in, in helping the members is, is, is the reality of, of the situation. Yeah. It's, it's part of, it's definitely part of what we want to do. Mm -hmm. Um, giving opportunities, but also showing, trying to bring in experts that have that knowledge, that have that experience on how, on how to do certain things. And, um, and, and also getting feedback from our members. It's like, you know, we, once in a while, we should, we'd like to receive this more often. Like, you know, but people send us ideas like, oh, you know, I, I just saw this great video or this great thing. Like, you know, it'd be cool to learn how to do that or how, what was, what, what made this special and and there are some folks that have done some pretty cool things even locally like there's an artist i think his name is roderick porter and you know he got he 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 at one point really put a lot of emphasis on his instagram stories and i don't know if he went towards tiktok but at one point um he just got a lot a lot of followers but it's in the way he was he was doing it and uh, if you look at his, his spotify stats and what he's doing on uh uh, on Instagram, it's it's phenomenal how many people are following, and it's just because you know it, it was the, the his strategy, it's the way he approached it, and it worked. Knowing how and to so, use the platform, yeah, yeah, knowing how to use the platform and doing it right, doing it in a certain way, and and the music, you know, if the music's there, you know, obviously that that helps. Now, talent but, uh, does come into play, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and you know, we we talk about technology and all that, you know, it's important and everything, but you know, I think live is still. You still have to be players. You still have to, you yeah. still have to be passionate about what you do. And I think that transcends transcends every, everything. You know, yeah. there's a reason why something jumps up from the screen. You know, it's yeah. because it's good. Yeah, like if like it's one thing to be really good on Instagram during those 15 seconds <laughs> versus being able to play a you know an hour long show. <laughs> That's yeah, two totally exactly. different worlds, right? Yeah. And you're not editing and finding that best 15 seconds that you did. <laughs> no, you still yeah. need to, I've, for me, you still need to be a player. You still need to be able to, to you know, to have a, to have that capacity of going in front of a, uh, in front of people and play, yeah. Yeah. play your having, music. Have, and again, with back to the conversation, you know, the band on stage is having a conversation with the people that are watching you know, and they get that energy and that back and forth, which, mm-hmm. you know, like you say, live is never going to go away. It's, it's yeah. just taking a break because of current situation, but it, it will definitely come back because people, people need that. Then they need that mm-hmm. emotional release, whether it's from the stage or towards the stage. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Um, so speaking of Instagram, um, I see on your Instagram that uh, you're an avid Tolkien um, <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> so how many how many times do you read uh read the books in a year <laughs> well I, I i try to make sure that i don't um i have an interesting timeline when it comes to tolkien um i read lord of the rings when i was like 20 years old and i went wow you know cool a lot of stuff i didn't understand or didn't under, didn't have the context you know a lot of things that aren't really explained but sort of but not so put that away fast forward to 2001 the movies come out wow cool movies yeah awesome then read the hobbit and was like okay this you know that then more time goes by so we're like in the mid like early maybe 2010 12 
I decided like, oh, I know this. I know this Silmarillion was something. Heard about it. It was a <laughs> yeah. it was a difficult read. Bought it at at the at the, at the time there was a, a, a used bookstore near um, near Aberdeen. Uh, folio book, used books. They had a, they had an old uh, used copy. Bought it. Read it. I had the uh, the Tolkien that the, the uh, Atlas of Middle Earth beside me, too, which helped immensely. <laughs> yeah. um, read it. It was dense, but I got through it going back in the, in, in the index to read, okay, who is this person? Who is this elf? Okay. going, And then, so I re- I've read the Silmarillion three times. Wow. <laughs> I've, I've read, and then last year I reread the whole Lord of the Rings for a second time. So I've only read it twice. Same. But the second, yeah. the second time I read it last year, I had this back knowledge of having read the Silmarillion and the Hobbit and uh, Unfinished Tales. Uh, Unfinished Tales, yes. Yeah, or, that was by, or, by his son, wasn't it? Well, yeah, it was, it's basically it's all his manuscripts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But the, the one because there's Lost Tales and there's Unfinished Tales. That's right. So this, this the, the so Unfinished uh, Unfinished Tales. I, I read again. Uh, I read twice as well and so when I reread the Lord of the Rings I had this backstory of all the things that I needed to know when they're making reference to all those things in in the book and in the songs and the poems yeah I I understood what they were saying finally so um (laughs) um and so yeah I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a uh, not just a bit of a very, very much of a Tolkien geek. Yeah. Um, I'm s- currently trying to make my way through the history of Middle Earth, which is a 12 volume mammoth. Uh, and it's, <laughs> it's very, and it basically it's all the transcripts. It's all the manuscripts. It's like, okay, it started with this and then it changed to this. And then the final version is this. Right. Uh, so they go all down that, that road. And uh, so I'm, I'm really hyped about the, um, the Amazon series that they've been talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they've recently moved it from New Zealand to London. I saw and that. Pe- yeah. People are very worried about that because the part of the whole thing with the movies was that New Zealand aspect of mm-hmm. not just the environments, but the filmmaking in general, like the the yeah. people that are from there that make the movies. Yeah, like, I don't know how many times I've I've watched the the movies and the special features, and and that always is what kind of grabbed me was how personal it was for them when they made yep. it and it i don't know if it was the like Amazon a series uh, will have that because of the movie yeah yeah there's there's a lot of like there's a lot of speculation about the amazon like how they they've changed they you know there was there's some people that came on board and they're no longer there like i know mm-hmm. that Sh- shippy tom shippy who's a um who's a uh, one of many um token scholars and he was involved in the uh, he was involved in the first series, I do believe. And he, when I saw he was going to be part of the second series or this new series, I was like, yes, Shippy's mm-hmm. there. Yeah. And I don't think he's there anymore. So it's like, oh, mm-hmm. I wonder why. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, uh, it could be really bad or it could be all right. Yeah. Um, I'm hope, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful when they released that one image, I think a couple of weeks ago or a month ago, you know, just yeah. that one image where you see a person and in the background, a city, and then a tree, yeah. one of the trees of Valinor um, right there. It's like, okay, they're going to be talking about the first stage. That's yeah. for sure. Um, it's probably going to be in the prologue. I assume 
it's yeah. you know like they did with the movies they they kind of did a prologue and talked about yeah. the end of the second age and, and so it's yeah. like i think it's going to be that we'll see um if they talk about the trees they're definitely going to see the trees be destroyed i'm assuming yeah. as well yeah. so yeah um yeah i don't i'm not a collector in the sense that i won't collect a lot of different versions of the books like i like having the books yeah. i like having good ver like nice versions Weighty. of the books yeah yeah. yeah like the, the hardcover versions of, of like you know so that i i i really um i really love the books i have and i i don't reread them too often because i don't want the i don't want to get them i don't want to be too um i i want to feel the same kind of the same way every time i come to certain passages yeah yeah, yeah. yeah i get it so which um which would be your favorite book out of that Right now, I'm a, I'm a very big fan of the Silmarillion. I yeah. love the backstory. Um, um, I, I think once I'm, 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 I'm going through a podcast right now, which is called the Prancing Pony podcast. Uh, anyone who loves Tolkien and loves philology, because they talk a lot about the language and uh, how, how Tolkien um, created all the languages and, and all the words and all the names and um, so it's an awesome, awesome podcast. Uh, they're, they, I'm, I'm catching up to them <laughs> basically. <laughs> they have a lot um, of episodes. Oh yeah. There, there's a lot of episodes and, and they're going through the whole legendarium. So they started at the beginning, they started, they went through the Silmarillion, they went through the Hobbit and now, um, they're at the part of the story where, um, Isengard has just been sacked. And Pippin has just looked into the Palantir, um, and okay. and it's like, oh, we got to we got to get out of here. Yeah. So that's where they're at. But that's where I'm at. Where they are, I'm not sure where they are. But uh, anyway, yeah. I'm I'm catching up to them slowly. But my I think the book that uh, that that still resonates with me the most um, right now is the Silmarillion, mm -hmm. and I have a little I have a, um, uh, a a tradition that I've started I started about three years ago, both. Four years ago, uh, four years ago, we built an add-on to the house, and we have a wooden stove now. So every year, we get a bunch of wood that's delivered. And so part of my um, tradition is that while I'm cording that wood, I'm yeah. listening to an audio audio book of the Silmarillion. Okay, yeah, I, I, I've yet to read the Silmarillion. I yeah. probably really should. Um, I, I was listening to a podcast. Um, the name is escaping me now. Oh shoot! It's these two two sisters that that are going through, and she's explaining the history because she's like the book nerd, and then the other sister's the movie nerd. So they, they mm -hmm. talk about the differences between the movie and the books. Yeah, um, uh, I think it's called "Speak, Friend, and Enter." Maybe. Uh -huh. Okay. Um, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, and they I think they stopped making them, so I, I kind of fell out because now that i've i've seen the dates when they were posting the podcast the, the last one was like almost over a year ago so I'm like okay. okay well they stopped so what's the what's the point of continuing point? Yeah. with it right so yeah. um but the prancing pony is one i was going to check out because uh, i recently seen that um uh, dominic monahan and billy boyd <laughs> sent them a message uh congratulating them on their podcast because they have their own podcast now with the That's friendship right. yeah have you yep. checked their podcast? Yet? I've only seen bits. I haven't seen. I haven't <laughs> listened to the full full, full, full version. Full on foolery. <laughs> okay. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you can clearly see that that they they are best mates and that they they yeah. really are Mary and Pippin in in life, like just 
really the way that they they go on together (laughs) yeah you should check it out it's pretty good um i will they were talking with a uh, string theorist today talking about string theorist yeah oh man it's just the science behind all that like in the multiverses and yeah yeah so they they have some interesting guests and they bring cast members from the they had sean astin and uh elijah wood and stuff like that so it's a good time anyway one thing that i find that i'm trying to do what i tried to do when i was i read the the lord of the rings not long ago is i tried to very not hard to not difficult not easy to do is to get get the 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 actors out of your head while reading you know you know when reading gandalf or or proto it's like i don't want to you know i i love the movies but Mm -hmm. and it took it took me a while but i think i was able to and what's interesting about the silmarillion is that there's none of that you know there's there's there what's difficult and if you ever do um i i would really um it's you're going to have to go back and forth to the index in the back saying, okay, they named some person or, you know, who is this person? Oh yeah. Okay. Come yeah. back. And, oh, and the, yeah. But once you kind of grasp a hold of that, the story is so massive and it's, mm-hmm. it's like a history. It's the, it's the history as told by the elves. It's yeah. basically, it's a story. And um, so in reading it, you kind of have to approach it in a scholarly fashion. Almost. Like it's not, it's not a, a, a leisurely read no yeah very little dialogue um and a, uh, yeah and a lot of names yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and sometimes one person will have like three or four names it's like okay yeah. so sort of like mithrandir and gandalf that's easy you know <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. um being a big vinyl collector um, what would be i guess you probably already answered this uh, earlier with your desert island um, but what would be your your most prized um vinyl I got a couple, I'd say, um, not okay. Prized in terms of, in terms of value or what they are. No, what they um, mean. Yeah. What they mean. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's Monetarily doesn't. Yeah, that, that's okay. here nor there. But yeah, what is as for you personally? What does it mean? Um, one album that um, that that had, had a huge influence and still continues is "Introducing" by DJ Shadow. Um, that album kind of. And it came out in 97, I think, or six. Um, just the, the, the textures, the grooves, um, the, the mix of old and new, the, the, the musicianship, even if he was playing with either a Kai pad or, or playing samples, you know, and you just hear the musicianship, even if it's not a band playing. Um, and you hear the, the the textures and the moods and 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 the the, the artist at work, mm-hmm. and and bringing all those things together. So that's an album that still to this day I can listen to. It's like a Desert Island disc. Mm-hmm. Um, the Beatles were a big part of my my childhood. So when I listen to the White Album, um, I, I still get a lot of pleasure about that with that and and listening to the new mix by Giles. Um, Martin, the son of George Martin, mm-hmm. is pretty trippy. Where it's the same album, but not quite. So <laughs> yeah. that's that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of albums. that's funny that that were like parts of my childhood without knowing what they were, and then later going, "Oh, that's what that is." Like you know, like "Wish You Were Here" from Pink Floyd. I have memories of listening to shine on you crazy diamond but not knowing that what it was kind of in the background you know yeah. as a kid 
maybe I was like five years old, but like much later, kind of going, listening back to parts of that album for the first time, like in the nine, like late eighties, early nineties and going, having a moment like, I know this, <laughs> like, you know, you know, it's like one of those, uh, like finding everything comes back. Friend. Right. Yeah, finding like meeting an old friend, you know, yeah. that, that can, that's come back 10 to 15 years later. Um, it's, it's, you know, there are some albums that, that, uh, that still resonate strangely. Um, well, not strangely. It's like, okay, well, when I listen to some Mr. Bungle, it still kind of freaks me out. It's like, wow, this is, you know, it still inspires me. Yeah. So if I had to make a top 10 list of albums, they'd be very eclectic, but I think it would span a lot of, you know, by, by with all these albums, which goes from the Goldberg variations of Glenn Gould to California, Mr. Bungle, White Album, introducing uh, Hemispheres of Rush. And, you know, I think, it would, it would, by having those 10 albums, I think I'd be, yeah, I think I'll be okay with this, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm good, see you later. <laughs> yeah, it's like, eh, you know, a little bit of column A, a little bit of column yeah. B. Um, and, and yeah, I think uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's tough to, I've never actually narrowed it down to 10 albums, but uh, I think I have a good solid six or seven that I, that I, I think wouldn't budge. Yeah, yeah cool. Um, some quick fire questions. Um, so would you prefer cake or pie? Pie. Nice. <laughs> That's the, yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> um, potato or tortilla chips? Potato. Okay. <laughs> Book or movie adaptations? Oh, I'd say book. Although yeah. there've been awesome movie adaptations, but I'd say book. Yeah. Did you see Dune yet? Not yet. Oh. I haven't read the book. I'm actually doing it now. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, re- I'm reading. I've never read the book, so I'm reading it now. Okay. I wouldn't yeah. hold off on going to the theater, though. No, I'm. I'm definitely <laughs> going to go to the theater. Like I know this... I haven't. I haven't read it yet either. I'm, I'm about had, to read it, but I had the um the 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 comic book adaptation of the Lynch film. Yeah. So it was like, so so that's how I got to know the story and, and was able to dive a bit more into yeah. the story. So yeah. Um. Hi-hat or ride symbol? Ride. Good. We have a lot in common. <laughs> <laughs> ride. <laughs> um, what's, the, uh, what's the thing you're most proud of? After my kids and my family? Um, putting music at the center of all my decisions, of everything I do professionally. One thing that I've, you know, I... I, I um, went to university in music. I studied music. And when I, I knew I wasn't going to make a career in playing percussion, unless I would get to the, to the, to the master, you know, master degree and go to university and teach there. I always said, well, whatever I do, music's involved. That's what's important. So if it's, you know, um, coiling cables at the end of a show, Mm -hmm. if it's, creating a, we- a website for a band or if it's promoting a show or if it's working in a studio or working for a nonprofit for music, the, 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 the fil conducteur and everything I do is music. So I think that's something that I've always said that I, I'd always want that, 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 you know, that that has to be this at the center of all my decision-making professionally. And, and I'm pretty proud to have always kept that promise to myself. Awesome. And last, but probably the most important question, best place to get a coffee at Moncton or Dieppe? 
My office. <laughs> no, I, I need to know so that next time I go to Moncton, I can get a good cup because it's right. hard to find. Yep. No, you're right. Um, okay. Well, that, that's, that's, a, that's, I'm a big, big coffee fan. So um, I like the coffee from Kodiak. Like I buy the beans from them. Kodiak. Uh, the Down East uh, coffee. Cafe, yeah. Down East. Um, we have that here I, at Mill Cove. Okay. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mill Cove. That's a, that's an excellent spot. Um, I'd say Café C'est la Vie on, on Main Street. Okay. I'll have to try yeah. that. I haven't been in there yet. Yeah, Last time uh, we, went, we tried, um, we tried a coffee at the Titan Boar just on yeah. uh, the corner by the, the green market. Mm-hmm. Um, it was okay. Yeah. Was There's a place okay. that I'm, I'm looking here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to trying cause I have some, uh, some, some tickets it's called epic epic coffee it's um it's right next to where la guitar used to be and there's jean couture in front of like a uh it's it's an old building but it's like a you need to make an appointment but it's like a coffee tasting it's like oh, really uh yeah. it's like a sit down and we're going to give you an experience okay wow. uh so i haven't tried it that's why i didn't name it because i don't know if it but i've heard really great things okay but if that's you want to george Yep, it's right beside where you know where La Guitare used to be. Yeah. Well, just beside that, not where the laundry on the laundromat side, but the other side. Okay. It's called Epic E P O C H. Epic Coffee. Epoch. Like Epoch. Epoch. Like yeah. the beginning Wait, of the right age. Here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I've got it right here. I just have to use it. I got it for my birthday. So it's uh, Epic Tasting. Yeah, Epoch. Yeah. Yeah. I remember so, that uh, word in, in history class. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the like the in Lord of the Rings, like the different ages. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. it, all, it's, it all comes back. It all comes back. <laughs> yeah. uh, everything revolves around Tolkien. Yes. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been awesome, man. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, I, I think this has been uh, one of my favorite chats so far. Uh, not cool. not to say anything bad about the other guests because they've all been interesting chat conversations, um, mm. but uh, you and I had met very briefly uh, when Music New Brunswick had the the Festival Five Hundred Six in Miramichi. Miramichi you were yeah. you were running around being busy and, and rightfully so, um, so you didn't have time to just you know talk with everybody. But we had a brief how how are you kind of conversation, and and I didn't want to get in your way. So, but this is the first time that we've actually had to. Um, interact and have a real conversation and, and it feels like i've known you for a long time yeah me too yeah, it was a great <laughs> conversation and uh we had a lot of really interesting uh i don't know a lot of, a lot of we were able to dig a little bit deeper than usual you know but, i like that that's the point <laughs> yeah so but yeah again thank you so much for for agreeing to do this and, and I yeah. hope people get to learn more about your story and your background and, and kind of see you in a different light as, as being the, uh, the director at music New Brunswick because you guys so. are doing a great job. Thank you very much. I appreciate, I appreciate it. Awesome. Okay. What an awesome conversation. Um, I'm not going to lie. I was a bit nervous um, before going into this. He and I had only had a very brief meeting when Festival 506 was in the Miramichi. So we didn't have a whole lot of interaction, uh, a few, you know, likes and, and, and comments on Facebook, you know, here and there, but, but not an actual sit-down uh, conversation. I mean, he's one of the most important people in the music industry in New Brunswick, but he's just so chill, so down-to-earth. I thank you so much, Jean, for all the stories and everything that you, you talked about and being so so open. Probably one of my favorite conversations, uh, just 
just because I wasn't expecting it. And uh, I'm very grateful for him to um, to have agreed to be on the podcast. And uh, I look forward to, to many more interactions. Again, thank you so much. As always, take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Be kind. Until next time. Look at